The advice and opinions expressed by the host of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. The Center for Autism and Related Disorders advises working with a board-certified behavior analyst who has experience with autism before starting any intensive behavioral intervention. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Welcome to Autism Live. I'm Shannon Penrod. We're coming to you live from the Warner Center in Woodland Hills, California. I want to do a quick shout out to, Ra uh, I think it's Raquel, or maybe it's Rachel and Kelly Joe, who've already written in on Facebook and are joining us with a lot of other people. Uh, we've got a big, big show planned for you here. We are, as I said, we're coming to you live from the Warner Center. And this is the home for Autism Live. It is also the home for the Center for Autism and Related Disorders. Thrilled to be here with you on this Wednesday morning. We're going to be with you live for the next two hours. And as hard as it may seem to believe, uh, we're, we're not going to have enough time in two hours to cover all the things that we're going to do. But uh, in just a few minutes, I know on Wednesday a lot of you get excited because uh, many times, most of the times, we have Dr. Doreen Grampiche here answering your questions in real time. Unfortunately, we don't have her this morning, but I'm very excited to tell you that we have Evelyn Kung here with us, so it's going to be Ask Evelyn Kung, and she is amazing. We have such a good time with her, so write in your questions right now. Uh, a little bit later on, we have Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy. Nancy Allspot jackson will be joining us, and our very special guest today will be licensed marriage and family therapist Vince Redmond, so that's going to be a fabulous thing. Uh, but we want to participate with you. We want for you to be a part of this. So Traven is going to show you some of the different ways that you can connect with us here on the show, some of the different ways that you can watch or write in a comment. And while he does that, I want to remind you that our homepage is autism-live.com. Now, when you go there, it looks a little bit different than it used to look. We have a brand new website and I really want to encourage everybody even if you've gotten used to watching us on Facebook or you've gotten used to watching us on YouTube take a little toodle over to autism-live.com and you will see that things are new and sparkly over there there and there are more ways to connect with the video content that we've been providing for you for many many years now so better search feature but different ways that you guys have asked us to uh, notify you you know all different kinds of ways for you to connect to the content, depending on how you like to do things. If you want to search by one phrase, or if you want to search by dates, or you want to search by content, it's, it's all there. Now, you can still chat with us. That still exists. It's just in a different place on that new page. You'll see that in the very top column up at the top, if it says live and there's a red button next to it, that means that we're live right then. 
If it isn't lit up, then that means that we are not currently live, right? But it'll show you what the most recent video was that we recorded. Uh, but at the bottom of the page now, there is the word chat. And if you click on that, a little box opens up and you write and type and it shows up here. I'm, I'm sorry, on this screen. And I'm able to track it better than ever before. So write in on that chat. Remember that that's the anonymous way to connect. If you want to connect to us on Facebook, you can, although it's not anonymous. Same thing with YouTube, Twitter, uh, Periscope, all those different ways to connect to us. Because here's what we know that sometimes in this autism community, and, and when I say community, I'm talking about everyone who is on the spectrum, of course, right? But all the people who love and care about them and are in their lives and work with them, right? That's, that's the bigger autism community. And we know that sometimes it feels like you're really alone in that community and we don't want you to feel like you're alone. So come be with us. Hold hands, we can do this together, si se puede, right? So write into us, even if you just need to shout and say, I'm here and I'm breathing, right? We appreciate when you participate with us, okay? So definitely uh, connect with us whatever way you like best. But I have to tell you that it is very exciting right now. It is time for Ask Evelyn Kung. Uh, and we're here with Evelyn. <laughs> in that magical how that just happened? Uh, she just appeared here. Uh, and you are an amazing person, madam. You've been working in this field for how many years? Mm, 26 or 7, something like that. Uh, an, I stopped counting. <laughs> an amazing amount of time. Came in uh, as a therapist and have just continued to work in this field. And you travel all over the place. You're kind of like the magic touch. <laughs> this is what parents say about you all the time. If you have the opportunity for Evelyn to come and have eyes on your case, it is a really good day in your life because amazing things happen. You just get Thank things. You. you really do. Uh, you are a light and everybody adores you. Uh, from the kids to the parents to the therapists, everybody just thinks of you as that wonderful, uh, brilliant, mothering mind who comes in and makes it all so simple. <laughs> Often Evelyn will say the thing that everybody goes, oh, <laughs> like, oh, why didn't I think of that? So I appreciate you and I Thank know that you. everybody else does. So, and we appreciate you from time to time, you get to come in and play this with us and write, people write in and ask questions. So first question uh, comes to us from uh, a mom who writes into us on a semi-regular basis. And she said, my son is 14, has ASD, ADHD, and has a learning disability. At times, my son can be aggressive when he feels he is being told off doesn't understand what's going on, or doesn't get what he wants straight away. He can't control his reaction, and I'm trying to help him divert the aggression by hitting a pillow, squeezing a stress ball, taking deep breaths. We've been practicing these techniques in the hope that we can use them when the aggression happens, but without success. There have been incidents at school when he feels he's being told off, but he really hasn't. And he tells me that he wanted to hit the teacher, but he doesn't. Unfortunately, with myself and my husband, this is not the case. And if he gets upset, the aggression is directed to us. We've tried ignoring the behavior, but he's getting bigger and stronger. Is there anything else I can be doing to help him and try to break his aggressive cycle? And we're sending you hugs, first yes. of all, right? This is a tough uh, situation. These kids actually are more prevalent now. 
Mm. I see them all the time. I've been seeing them for a long time, probably for the last 10 years, uh, a lot. But they weren't the common kids that we would see. Part of it was because the diagnosis was less when you have somebody that's so high functioning. Mm. People tend to want to choose to stick to the ADHD and the learning disorder. And then the ASD kind of gets tagged on later on because, you know, he's too high functioning or he can do so many things or he just doesn't want to do it. You know, the, a lot of different attributes are, of causality are thrown at these kids. Mm -hmm. And I think it's, it's, it's so hard. So congratulations that you actually have all three and that you're acknowledging all three because it's all three in effect. So kids like this, you know, I, if I could come and sit here and say, okay, this is what you should do for aggression, it would be um, a mistake on my, my own because it's not just one thing that's causing all the aggression. You know, from the behavior analyst's point of view, it's probably what we would call multiply controlled behavior, which means sometimes he does it for attention, sometimes he does it to get him out of things so he can escape, mm -hmm. sometimes he does it just because he doesn't know what else to do, you know? Okay. Or sometimes he does it so he can get access to something. It's, it's actually every single function across the spectrum of what functions of why we do things and the aggression probably hits every single one, but it's different every single time. So you can't actually just have one intervention for all of it. It will never work. Congratulations in that he wants to hit, feel like he wants to hit the teacher, but does not. Right. That's great. Yes. <laughs> it's a good, at least there's a stop, you know, stop point and you know, that part is controlled. But I do feel bad for all the families that have this kind of child because the person that the child actually does get most angry at is their parents. Yeah. And the parents are the ones that become the target of the aggression and the frustration. And a lot of times it's just because they wanna help and they're trying to do things and they know their child best too. So they also know what reinforcers will help the kid. So the kid's like looking at the parents trying to get help, but when they can't, they just don't know what to do. And then that's when the target really comes yeah. into play. And First of all, just for these kids, what I've realized with a lot of them, because a lot of them are so intelligent. They know so much and they can see the difference between themselves and their peers. They can see that other people get access to things, have more friends, social things just come more easily, and they may not be able to express it, but they can see it because usually intelligence-wise, they're usually intact or really high functioning, like intelligence is off across higher than most people. and. The frustration that see, they see when they see that their peers have such an easy time is frustrating. But then they also see life as being really unfair because they don't know how to get access to all these things. And they can't figure it out and they can't go read about it someplace. And you know that frustration of life being unfair, we would all be upset. Yeah. You know, If we couldn't figure out how things worked, there would be a lot more of us <laughs> Absolutely. being aggressive just because no one understands you. Yes. And though he talks, usually with these kids, there is a delay in language. Okay. And it's a, it's a delay in social language. Which it's is a, a really important distinction, yes. right? They talk a lot, but they use very few words. Okay. So they kind of, they speak on, these kids tend to speak very concretely. So everything that they say is very black and white, very concrete. But if that's the only way you talk, you're missing all the emotional aspects. You're missing physical states, how you feel, like, like are you cold, hot, a little bit cold, a little bit hot. Right. You're missing everything that has to do with emotions. You're missing an understanding of relationships because relationships aren't clear cut. They're very much a continuum. So a lot of what's missing is what we would, what we would call flexibility. 
you know, flexibility in language because initially they just don't even have the vocabulary to do it. I was just on a call with a similar kid right, right. now, and I was telling them, you know, the way he describes his continuum is it's my boyfriend or girlfriend, it's my friend, and that's it. There's no, there's nothing else, you know, mm -hmm. or you're my family or you're not. That's right. pretty much the three descriptions of his relationship. So shades of gray are just like yeah. not there. The whole continuum is missing. They only have the extreme ends. Right. And when life is seen like that, that means um, you're either always a success or you're always a failure. Mm. And that just, it's horrible. The kids, their confidence, how they feel about themselves, frustration. Like I did all that work and it's, I'm not getting any benefits from it. If they see, um, I had a kid who was like doing calculus and like 10 years old or something. And he was insistent that he was not good at math. And for years and years, he just kept saying he was. And I was like, we even showed him like grades from his class, like to show him. And he was just always insistent. And finally, I said, what is the one thing that makes you think that you're really bad? Like, what happens in the classroom? Like, what mm -hmm. actually happens? And the fact that the teacher will walk by and be like, oh, you need to erase this. And just the act of erasing means he failed. Uh. Because his idea of was he was either going to be successful, which meant perfect, right, or he was a complete failure if right. he wasn't perfect. Wow! So that's a lot of frustration. Long. I can't even imagine. I mean, I know how I feel. I'm the world's worst about customer service. If I go into a store and I ask for something, and I always tell the example of I went in to a Walmart store and said, "Do you have X, Y, and Z?" And the woman said to me, she goes, well, that was X-lined, um, so, you know, and, and then didn't finish the sentence. And I said, I don't, I don't, I don't know what that means. What does that mean? And I, I have language, <laughs> yeah. right? And I said, I, I don't know what that means. And she goes, well, it means it was X-lined. Which, what okay, is that? Okay, so does that mean you have it or you don't? And she goes, well, it was X-lined. And, and I asked like 13 different ways to find out so does that mean it's in, you know, that it's gone? And she just kept answering with, with it's X line. And I got so mad, I had like a tantrum. Mm -hmm. And I said, would you stop saying that and use different words to tell me what X line? I mean, I was a grown adult and having a tantrum in an aisle at Walmart because I could not get this woman to communicate in a way that I could understand. Exactly. I can't imagine what it would be like if that's almost every interaction you have. You have enough language to, you know, do some things, but not to get your needs met. Yeah. And, and so for these kids, they can't eat, life is just unfair. Yeah. They just see, they, they don't even understand how things work. And a lot of times it is the flexibility. It starts with language, I always say, because they, ha you, they have to have some kind of baseline of what you actually, they understand. And it can't be something that they've been told. Because just because they can told and they can repeat back whatever the rule is doesn't mean they actually understand the rule. And mm. that's the problem with these kids too is they can mem remember anything and especially if they've been told something repetitively, they'll know the rule is when I get mad I should hit a pillow. But in the reality it doesn't help it at all. Okay. If I wanted to punch something maybe hitting the pillow would work. Right. But if I'm frustrated because I've been trying to get access to something or someone or do something or learn how to do something and no one's telling me hitting that pillow is not going to help at all. Okay, so what can she do? So, you know, I always say, like, this is where you start with the flexibility. Like, if I'm using skills, so skills is our card curriculum, is I always say start with flexibility and start with language. So that's under executive function. Right. Teach them how to describe all the continuum of, 
I usually choose something very that they have an opinion on, like food. Almost everybody has an opinion about food, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> or maybe places they go. So they have to learn that continuum of like, oh, I like it a little bit. I okay. sort of like it. I kind of like it. I don't really care about that. You know, it's just a neutral thing. Or I, 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 I don't really like that, but I will eat it. Okay. <laughs> or I like it when this happens. Right. Only. <laughs> you know, like being able to describe all your feelings in between. Rarely in life do we say we love something or hate something right. at those extremes. Almost all our descriptions are in that gray, in that middle area. So if you can get kids to talk about all those, use those words in a non-aggressive um, topic or a non, right. like uh, what they can identify as what something you're trying to teach them. Okay. Um, do it with something that they really have a true opinion about. Right. Um, and get them to learn that language. Then you take that language and you start applying it to social situations. Okay, so these lessons are in skills. Mm -hmm. And for people who are new turning, tuning in, schools is a t uh, skills is a tool. Uh, you can go to www.skills4, and it's the number for autism.com. You can do a free trial um, to check it out. The, the issue with skills, I'm just going to be honest, is that skills can do so many different things that often parents go in and they go, oh, this is overwhelming, I don't know what to do. And the truth is, is if you just focus on the one thing you went into it for and just do that, you'll find that it's an amazing tool. And then later on, if you discover, hey, you know, I want to learn about other things that skill do skills does, um, you know, for me, it's a lot like a Mac computer. I just want to check my email, right? So I'm just going to learn how to check the email. I'm not going to learn how to do everything else and edit, but you can on a Mac computer, right? But just, just go in to do what you want to do. So you were saying this is in the executive functions curriculum. Well, I was going to say he's 14. So what might make it easier oh. is, um, there is a curriculum, a skills curriculum for older teens and adults. And even though 14 is kind of the cusp where you can go one or the other, it might be easier for you to use Skills Living and skillsliving.com. And basically, it's for older teens and adults who come in, and they, there are 16 curriculum areas, and you basically choose what you want to work on. So yeah. if I'm only going to work on executive function or I'm only working on social skills, you only have to do those two areas, the assessments that are at the start of each curriculum area, and then that'll help narrow things down for you a little bit more yeah. instead of everything else that's on there. Because we talked about this two weeks ago, the fact that in Skills Living, there's so much information that no individual would need all of it. Yes. Because you wouldn't, if there were things that you had deficits over here and you would be working on something over there, then you wouldn't need the stuff over here. It wouldn't be appropriate. Yes. And, and the vice versa. Yes. If you're working over here, you don't need the stuff over here. Because let's face it, the, uh, the spectrum just it's gets so wide. much broader <laughs> the older individuals get. Yeah. Um, there are no two individuals that are going to need the same thing, and no one would need all of it. Yes. So don't even try to do all of it. Yeah, but just, just go at what you think are your need is. Okay. You know, and go in, and maybe when you start it, you think, well, this doesn't quite meet it, but then you'll just look around and see, is there another area, like personal responsibility, that's yes. an area. And it's a smaller area because it's just basically how to take care of yourself. And you there, there is an area on self-regulation, too, mm -hmm. but what I love about skills is that it, when you open up a lesson, it also tells you what the prerequisites are for it. Mm -hmm. It's like going to college. You go, oh, well, I want to take this class, but the prerequisites are this, this, and this. I have to have those before I can do that. So you need to, when you see that prerequisite, you need to go back and teach the earlier lesson. I think that what's really fascinating and what I've heard from families is that often when they go and teach the prerequisite, 
things happen and getting to that lesson is either happens on its own, like it just like miraculously happens or it's ever so much easier once they've got the prerequisite because often the prerequisite that's missing is the problem. And it wouldn't be something you'd think of. Well, that's why with this aspect of like the aggression and everything, I always go back to language and people always say, wait, no, he talks. Right. (laughs) And I'm like, well, he talks, but does he have the right words, the right vocabulary? especially to get their needs met because yeah. aggression often is because it, it's as if somebody's holding, now correct me if I'm wrong, but it's as if somebody's holding up a sign saying, I can't get my needs met any other way, so I'm going to do this. Yeah, definitely. And it's just one of these things where you're starting with language and then you are building up with interventions. This is where you do want to talk to a BCBA because you need to find out what are the functions at different times. Yeah. And sometimes actually these kids are bright enough where I actually just write it out for them. These are four things. Why are you being aggressive right now? Yeah. Do you want something? Are you trying to get out of something? <laughs> you just are so frustrated you don't know what else to do. You yeah. know, or, or do you just want our attention? Yeah. And sometimes these kids are they're good enough where they'll just be like, that one, yeah. you won't give me. Right. <laughs> and then you have a way to address it, a better way to get something. And the thing is, when the kids are at the height of aggression or height of emotion, just like with adults, typical adults, you don't talk about things at that point. Right. They have to calm down first. Right. Once they calm down, then you can talk about it. You step out of the emotion, and you can actually talk about ways to learn how to do this next time. Right. Like, what are better ways to get access to what you want? What are better ways to let us know you're frustrated without having to do this? And don't do it while they're frustrated. Yeah. You, they have to come down first from whatever you know emotional high they're at. Yeah. And and once they're calm, and you can talk about it separately, they're much more logical, much more um, being able to reason out. And it's important that you just don't give them rules. But you can give them a rule because that will get them so far. But you also have to go back and talk about all the reasons for the rules. As, and that requires flexibility. They're not only going to see it in one place. There's a lot of reasons why, you know, um, they're getting mad. Yeah. And now, I happen to know that this mom is not in the United States. She's in a country where BCBAs are even more scarce than anywhere else. So... Um, Normally, we would absolutely be talking about make sure that you have a BCBA working with you on protecting yourself and, uh, you know, stances that you can take and ways that you can de-escalate and ways that you can prevent yourself from getting hurt and the individual from hurting you or hurting themselves. But where, what can somebody do if they're in a place where there's no BCBA? Are there, are there trainings online to show parents how to deflect and how to, I mean, I know that, you know, I know that entities have these videos that they use internally and that they don't typically share them with parents because everybody's afraid that a parent will misuse the information and end up getting more hurt. And I think that's a real thing. But what is available for parents? I think a lot of times, just like we have IBT, Institute for Behavioral Training, Uh they have a lot of videos. I don't know if they would have the exact one that you want. But th- those are valuable because they can tell you just how to find intentionally behaviors. Yeah. And they can teach you just how to identify it. And then you can teach your son, too, how to identify it. And that just gives them more power. Yeah. I'm doing this because of this reason. And at least then you know <laughs> yeah. what area he's in yes. so that you can have more discussion. Yeah. Or, you know, coping strategies are um, good as long as the kids, you know, the typical coping strategies work, except... You, they can't just be rules. The kids have to understand it for them to actually use it. Yeah. You know, it doesn't become effective. 
Otherwise, they're breathing, but they're not calming down. Right. You know, they're trying to do that. And there's some physiological aspects where if they do learn how to breathe slowly and breathe out slowly, just oxygen will calm them down. Yeah. And um, a lot of our kids, I'll, I'll actually tell them that a lot of times they don't do it right. They end up um, making themselves more hyper because they're breathing fast instead. Yes. <laughs> so it's like, no, we're going to count to 10 and breathe out. So that, And then it's funny because inevitably, even if they've been doing it a long time, they look at me and they say, this is taking a long time. <laughs> it's like, it's true. That's part of the effectiveness. If you right. Fast, it doesn't help. Right. You know? Well, I have to say, I've all, I've, in recent years, I've become a big advocate of mindfulness. We have our mindfulness moment on Thursdays. And then two weeks ago, when I was at ABAI International Autism Conference, they had a workshop on mm -hmm. mindfulness. And, um, I, you know, it was very eye-opening for me because I didn't know all the research that is behind mindfulness now when used in conjunction with ABA. It makes ABA more effective. Um, and it make and that's doing mindfulness with everybody, with the individual who's on the spectrum, with the parent or caregiver, and the team that's working. If everybody is doing the mindfulness, everything is much more effective. Even if just one element of that three-legged stool is doing mindfulness, the ABA is more effective. So I'm going to be talking a lot more about that this year. But for the mom to, you know, for you to find some strategies so that you have time during the day to be calm. Because I know when you're being hit and you don't know when it's going to happen, you're like you're constantly feeling like it could happen at any moment. So finding a time during the day when you can ratchet that stress down and also finding time to do that with the individual, it's like an insurance policy. Well, one of the things that does work that with some of our kids and families actually have a really hard time in putting in place, and I saw actually as a part of a therapy program uh -huh. as a, at a living is they have this thing where if you're getting mad, the rule in the house is you have to go to your own room mm. for 10 minutes. Okay. They set a timer, and in 10 minutes, you can come out, and you can talk about it. Okay. And usually that 10 minutes, the kids calm down. And at the 10 minutes, they tell the kid, you can either come talk about it or you can choose not to. And that way, the kids can decide, is it worth it? Mm. Because to talk about it takes it's energy. a problem, too. So it takes a lot of energy and um so many things, and during the, when they come out at ten minutes, only that person talks. No ah, one else can talk. Okay. If you have a rebuttal, you take another ten minutes. Ah. And this is the part actually that parents have the hardest time. Right, I'm sure. Is because they just want to respond back, and we're like, nope, the kid needs to feel heard. That's right. And so if the, the ten minutes, no interruptions, no questions, no anything, and then you have to do another ten minutes, and then the parents can come back. And then the parents get the right to talk without the kid interrupting. Ah, I like this a lot. <laughs> and it works really well. Okay. It just takes a long time. Yeah. And putting it into place, you have to be very mindful about when you're doing it. Okay. You know, but it really is something that is effective because then the kids feel heard and then the parents feel heard too. I would imagine there has to, in the beginning, has to be a re reinforcer for participating in the rules of the 10 minutes. Yes. Because when you're starting to feel angry, if you're used to getting it to a fruition where you get to hit somebody, when it starts to escalate saying, okay, we've agreed you're going to go to your room for 10 minutes, there's got to be something in place like, and if you will participate in these rules, you will get Yes. And then initially, it's immediate. Right. It's like you have to give immediate reinforcer for 
um, responding, following this rule in this way. Okay. But it's it's there's a lot of issues. I wish I could just say there's one way to treat this. Right. Um, but there isn't one. That'll way. give her some things to think yeah, about. Yeah, just though. some things, and you, you can roam around. And even with like with mindfulness, I love mindfulness. I don't know the ADA research recently. I know it from maybe two or three years ago. But one of the main issues with um, mindfulness, if you're bringing it over from somewhere else, is it goes back to vocabulary. Half of our kids don't even understand what you're trying to say. Yeah. So the vocabulary part becomes really important about you know the vocabulary needs for mindfulness because <laughs> I'll ask the kids later what they know. They're like they have they only know the definition that whoever told right. them, but it has no meaning to their life or have very little meaning okay. or it's not generalized and only has like one little corner. So then you're stuck because you're trying to do this mindfulness and they're just like over here still and you think they were down here already. Oh, I saw this amazing workshop and I heard two different workshops where they were talking about there's a technique called surfing the wave um, and you can Google that. I'm going to get somebody on the show to talk about it. Uh, there are lots of different techniques of mindfulness, but there's this thing called surfing the wave and it's very specific and targeted and teaches them how to have the emotion that they're having and to ride it mm -hmm. to, you know, to let it ebb and flow so that it goes through them and doesn't stick and escalate. Um, that I thought was pretty amazing. Lots of other techniques too, but that's one that you can Google uh, surfing the wave mindfulness and, and see what you come up with. All right, we've got to take a break. And then when we come back, we've got more of your questions. And I know you guys are writing in on Facebook as well. So stick with us. Do you provide care services to someone with autism? Recently, more and more children are being diagnosed with the condition and getting the support they need as awareness grows. But what happens to these children as they grow up? It's estimated that over half a million youth with autism will turn 18 in the next decade, and they'll be faced with a very difficult reality. As children with autism grow up, their services start to disappear or become very difficult to access. Things like medical care, mental health counseling, vocational training, and more. All services that are still desperately needed. The loss of support that youth with autism face as they grow up is so severe that it's referred to in the autism community as falling off a cliff. Adults with autism need the same level of support they had as children to avoid falling off the services cliff. Introducing Skills Living, the web-based software designed specifically to help transitioning youth and adults with autism so they can avoid the cliff and instead fly to success. With Skills Living, help your learner with autism develop the skills they need in all the critical areas of adult life including self-control, planning, and problem-solving, effective communication, performing life skill tasks for independent living, acquiring and maintaining employment or other meaningful activities, developing and maintaining social skills and relationships, accessing transportation and public services, and being safe. Skills Living includes a comprehensive assessment, a data collection mobile app, behavior intervention plan builder, and automatic progress reporting. It also provides a complete curriculum addressing 16 key areas spanning the entire range of functioning adulthood. Skills Living is easy to use and can be implemented by schools, parents, and autism service providers. Call or click today for your free demo and see how Skills Living can help your learner with autism avoid the cliff and instead reach their fullest potential. Skills Living wish, learn, become. 
Welcome back, everybody. Uh, I just wanted to address, we had a little bit of a sound issue uh, in the last few minutes of the last segment, and I didn't know because I pulled my earpiece out because I'm a bad girl and uh, not a rule, fo rule follower. Uh, but anyway, I, I'm told that you could hear, you just would have to bump the volume up a little bit, but if there was anything that you missed that you weren't hearing, let us know. I know that that mom wrote in and said, thanks so much, guys. I'm definitely going to have a look at Skills Living. Lots to check out. But... Um, it was just on Evelyn's mic, and so we apologize for that. In any case, I want to I let you know that Skills Living has a phone number. Uh, did you just put it up there? I just saw it on my screen over here. Uh, did you put it up there, Traven? Is that why I was seeing it? Go ahead and put it up again, if you did before. Oh, how funny. That's, I, it gave me, I, talk, I said Skills Living, and on my phone it came up. I think it's like one of those doo-doo-doo-doo things that... <laughs> Uh, I don't have it on, on me anymore. It'll come up again. In any case, um, you can go to skillsliving.com and check it out. But there is also a phone number, and it's on the website. Okay, we want to say hi to Penny and Ev and Tracy and Viri Diana and Rosie, who are all watching as well. So um, I'm here with Evelyn Kung, and she is answering your questions in real time. So this next question that I have, uh, the person writes in and says, I work with special needs. I wish to further my skills for working with my clients. I took an RBT online class and feel like I just really didn't get enough information. I really like the way your videos are explained. Do you offer a study course or could you recommend one and thank you? And you know, because uh, we, we just went to ABAI and what I thought was so much fun, uh, we've had this happen before, but a lot of people came up and said that they watch our jargon of the day to study for their tests. That's funny. Uh, to learn them, which makes me happy in a way that I can't even express. But we do not yet offer a course here on Autism Live or CE credits on Autism Live. Uh, you know, that's, that's just not what we do. But I know you've got lots of different things that you can talk about, and you were talking about IBT before. Yeah, IBT actually, there's a professional side and there's actually a parent side. Mm -hmm. So if you are a teacher or, you know, work in some field with special needs, the professional side is probably going to be good for you. So being able to go through, you did the RBT class, which is good. You might consider the BCATS class um, because that one specifically focuses on autism techniques. And it puts a lot of the behavioral techniques into autism situations. So RBT, for people don't, who don't know, Registered Behavior Technician. Technician. And, but that's a more general about ABA, correct? Yes, yes. And so that, correct me, because I, I, somebody was asking me about this the other day, and I said I should check to make sure that I have this right. But you're, it's a 40-hour online class mm -hmm. um, that anybody can take. Um, you can do it through IBT, and it's less than $450 yeah. to take the whole class. And, uh, but then, then do you have to do, do you know you have to do something else besides take a test at the end? Well, this, the question is whether you care about being RBT certified through um, the BACB, the Behavior Analyst Certification Board. Okay, so what do you have to do to do that besides the class? I would say go to the BACB.org site okay, and look at, you know, all the requirements. And then th there's yearly requirements because they have to keep it up to date. Yes. And then the BCAT, tell us about what that so is. So that's board certified. Certified Autism Technician, mm -hmm. and that takes the ABA rules and implements it into situations that are um, kids on the autism spectrum. Okay, and that is a uh, you can take an online class as well on it's an online class uh, on IBT, and 
uh, you take a test, a pretty intensive test, but with BCAT, you also, to get certified, you also have to do some hours and somebody has to supervise Yeah, you. there's some maintenance also, and both degrees right now are recognized by um, a lot of funding sources. Yeah. So it's one way to just get more experience. And then if you go on to the IBT website, the Institute for Behavioral Training, there's a lot of other information because people go there for um, information at the BCBA level too. The, and so it'll take you from the basic um, BT, behavior technician, all the way up to um, things that the BCBA is looking at too. So the supervisor. So, uh, and just as an FYI, because people go, oh, I couldn't do that. I, you know. I'm a parent, and I uh, the first time the BCAT was offered the test, I took the test and passed the test. I did not do all the other things, so I am not a BCAT, but I have <laughs> passed the BCAT test, which is very exciting for me. I want a badge. I want like a little knit badge for that. <laughs> <laughs> right? uh, and it was stressful. I, I remember sitting down going, oh, what did I get myself into? Um, and I did not get a perfect 100 because I'm not good at the data questions. <laughs> That's where I had, you know, I would have needed to study. But in any case, I think it's super wor worthwhile, and I wish that that had been available when my son was going through therapy because I uh, kept for the longest time, only took it down when we moved a few months ago, there was a sign in our bathroom that said, uh, my son's team is only as strong as its weakest player, and I will not be the weakest player on my son's team, right? Yep. And, you know, if I had gone through the RBT or gone through the BCAT training when my son was in therapy, I know I would have been a better parent. Well, I don't know. I think you learned it like you showed. You learned most of it anyway, you know? Well, but years later... If I had known in year one, sometimes, like I tell you what, you guys, even the, I, I took the RBT training for the first time, like a couple of months before my son finished, because that's when it was available yeah. for the first time. And then I didn't do the BCAT stuff until way, way, way later. Um, but I remember having an aha moment in the RBT training, and I was like, oh my goodness. And, and then talking to someone in my life about it and saying, you know, for instance, that there are this chain of events that happen that have to make a skill happening. And the example that they used was a child putting on a shirt. And they were saying, you know, so you think about all the things in the task analysis, about how you take the shirt and you scrunch it up. to get. And, and I was like, oh, see, I didn't know about that. <laughs> I didn't know about that teaching my child. And I was telling somebody else about it and they were, who has a neurotypical kid. And they were like, what? I'm trying to teach my daughter how to do that right now. And, I didn't know about the scrunching up to the neck. I never thought about that, but of course you do that. And then was able to finish teaching her neurotypical daughter because of that. And, and that both of us had had this aha. That's just one example when you do these trainings that you go, I didn't think about that. And then once you do think about it, you don't think about the fact that you didn't think about it once before. Does that make sense? It does, but there's more than one way to do something too. Absolutely. So so the scrunching up the next, some people do it, some people don't. It's just an easier way to teach. So that's the difference. But it's just I, another way. I think it's enlightening to like realize all the things you, you don't know that your therapists yeah. know. And that your therapist, it hasn't occurred to them to tell you because to them they just know it. Mm -hmm. And they don't realize that you don't know it. I know. I'm yeah. way too many pronouns. <laughs> but it's exciting is what I'm telling you. And it's worthwhile. So I always encourage parents... Um, what's great about it is you can do it whenever you want. You can pause it so that if you know, you're know you 15 minutes into it and you're like, I gotta cook dinner, pause, and you can come back to it a week later. Yeah. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. So 
Anyway, <laughs> now I'm going to cough. We should take a short break, and then we're going to be back with more of your questions. Stick with us. Hi, I'm Shannon Penrod, and we're at the ABCs and XYZs of Special Needs Conference. And this year, for the first time, they've got something really remarkable. It's the Entrepreneurial Boutique. These are all items that have been made and are being sold by individuals who have special needs. So we're going to do a little shopping and talk to some of these fabulous entrepreneurs. Come on. My name is Molly Rarick and I'm founder of Reed's Gift. We're a nonprofit that serves teens and adults with special needs like Chase here. Uh, we were founded in 2013 and serve people in the Conejo Valley, Santa Barbara, and LA. Our main objective is to give our participants the skills they need to gain a more independent life. My name is Shelly Cox and um, Lisa Zalagi and I are founders of Creative Steps and Create Micro Business Enterprises. And the, the items that we're selling here today are all made by the clients who have uh, passions about what they want to make and then they get the profits from what they make after we've paid all of the other expenses. We are here today because um, I, my goal is to be independent and also I would like to share all my artwork and I would like to sell. Thinking about at his young age being a businessman, you know, it's, it's amazing. I cannot be more proud. she told me. Welcome back. We are so thrilled to be back here. We are here with Evelyn Kung and she's answering your questions in real time. And um, I, I want to go on to this next question here. For a child who spent so much time in biomedical and not in conservative therapies, which include ABA, and starts at 12 and has no real expressive language but does have receptive, what is the prognosis at, um, as the brain has matured? Isn't this the thing that all parents want to know? It's like, what's possible? And especially for parents who have kids that are older, I, it breaks my heart whenever I talk to a parent who's older because eventually we get around to some phrase that resembles, I think I missed the boat. And that that's how they feel. They're like, oh, everybody else managed to get on that ABA boat and I didn't get on. And so now I'm finding out about it. And, and did I miss the boat? It's a hard, hard thing for parents. But she's got great questions here. So the child did biomedical, but not ABA. 12, no real expressive language, but they do have receptive language. What's the prognosis? The prognosis is that we can't tell you. But one of the things that you've done, which is you've, if you've done all the biomedical and the child is clean or you're just aware of what the issues are, your child's ready to learn. Yeah. That's the biggest deal because so many of our kids might come in younger but if their head is cloudy because they have allergies or they, you know, just other issues going on biomedically, we're always talking to the families about let's get your child healthy. Mm -hmm. Because once you feel good and you're healthy, you can be a sponge. You yeah. can learn a lot. And so if your child is at that point where you know he's healthy and ready, sleeping and eating well, then he can learn. How much he can learn, I don't know. He has receptive language, so that's a great basis. But what you really want to make sure he has right from the beginning is working on does he have functional communication. 
does, is he able to communicate his wants and needs? And once he's able to communicate his wants and needs on all levels, like there's the initial just food and hunger and you know going outside, but you want to get it to the point where if he gets hurt, he can identify. Mm -hmm. He can tell you he's hurt. Um, you want, if there is an emergency, that he's able to respond appropriately. You know, that behaviors are down, challenging behaviors. And then from there, you're going to go on and let's say, like, what's he really motivated by? You know, let's work on interactions with people that are going to be meaningful in his life. You know, like one of the things I always tell 10 to 12-year-olds is I start talking to the parents about what's the future. Because you're already starting to work for that long-term goal when he's out of school, when he, um, what is he going to be doing? Do you see him having a job? Where is he going to be living? You know, I really start talking to parents at around 10 years old about thinking about those kind of things, especially when there is no vocal language, because it becomes a real need. And being able to think about what does he enjoy, you know, getting to know where he um, where he's happiest, where he's learning best, how he's learning. I'd say definitely ABA is still going to help mm -hmm. because you're going to work on that language, and but you're also going to be working on, you, you know, you skipped at 12, you don't need to learn imaginative play anymore. Right. <laughs> now you're working on leisure skills that is what is he going to be doing in his free time that he's actually enjoying, that he can be social, leisure skills for himself on, on his own as well as leisure skills in a group so that you can maintain the social interaction you know, outside of school. You're looking at the long term about what is this day um, looking like. Are we looking at a job? Are we looking at a vocation? Are we looking at him having a job, but maybe an aide always being with him for that job? Um, every person that um, deserves a chance to be productive and to be have meaningful work, mm -hmm. not just work for the sake of work, but meaningful work is what matters. And at this age, you're already starting. You're looking at more of a long term as opposed to if he did start at two. At two, we're working on functional pretend play. Right. <laughs> you know, a lot of the things that will actually pass. There are things that you learn there. But when kids come older, I start looking in the long term. Okay. Because now you want to build skills that are going to stay and Absolutely. be sustained, that maintained. You're looking at peer groups of what peers are out there, with that, um, what activities can you do with peers. That are these families and peers, are they people that you really are going to keep in touch with? Yeah. You know, and just, it's a little bit more of a long-term view. But I also want to say to this parent, in the hope category, you know, the, the very famous case of Carly Fleischman, who mm -hmm. was uh, a, a girl that they didn't believe had any receptive or expressive, and, and, and you know, the parents, there's a, there's a book, Carly's Voice, and the parents basically say, we had accepted that this was what her life was going to be like, that we couldn't get in to talk to her and that she couldn't get out to talk to us and this was sort of the deal. And the family went away on a family vacation, left her with a caregiver, and the care caregiver was sitting on the couch with her with a computer and Carly took, and this is a little girl that they thought didn't know the alphabet, okay? She took the computer from the caregiver and typed out, my teeth hurt, please help. And that caregiver immediately called the family on vacation and said, this amazing thing happened. I, like, did you know that she could type? And everybody was like, did we know that she knew what the word tooth meant? <laughs> right? Yeah. And Carly now is a, a young adult who has her own talk show. She is nonverbal, non-vocal, but verbal in every other way. Yeah. Right? Um, has a talk show where she interviewed Channing, Channing Tatum. Google it. It's the most amazing it's thing great. ever. Yeah. Right? Um, she is an amazing young woman who has been able to go and do all these things and has 
people following her every blog because she has something important to say. Um, you know, she cannot engage in vocal speech the way that you or I can, but she has a full and rich life. Um, so, and her parents didn't know that she could have that until she was 13 and she sent up the flag. So at 12, I just want to say to you that like, don't let anybody, I love that you said, we can't tell you, um, because no one can know. Um, and, and let's, let's see what your child wants to do. Yeah. What can they do? Because I, we do actually have multiple kids here who start late like this and do go on to live very productive lives. I just had one come in, actually, she was with us when she was younger, and she was non-vocal and basically only doing mans on her polo quote on her iPad, saying like, I what she wants. But her mom started some kind of um, therapy, and we don't know what happened. She came in, and she has full conversations now, wow. but through writing. Wow. And she has complete conversations to the point where she actually asked me. And it was funny because Dr. Gramsci was with me and had left the room. Uh -huh. And I've known her for a long time. So she's, she actually says, so Evelyn, do you want to work together so we can fix all these communication <laughs> issues that kids are having out there? And I just looked at her and I said, sure. <laughs> but it was just like it was such a big change and she yeah. was 12 13 the same age and Tell they never me. knew that she had these skills yeah so there we go uh there's some there's some hope for you get get that all on okay uh, i'm not going to take a break we're going to move on to the next question what's the best approach to teaching theory of mind to a very verbal 10 year old asd child he is capable of analysis through conversation okay this is a sharp cookie but so, knowing, getting that other piece of knowing, okay, just because I think this doesn't mean that you are. Um, the best way is to make sure that he does not memorize any of these, the, uh, okay. any of the conversations okay. or any of the reasons of how you know theory of mind. Okay. So another um, definition of theory of mind is perspective taking, being able to take someone else's perspective. And in development, it starts early on. I always use the example of when you play hide and seek. Yeah. So at the beginning of kindergarten, there's usually one or two kids that can play hide and seek really well. Yeah. And then by the end of kindergarten, more than half the class is playing hide and seek really well. Uh, and then it goes into six, seven, eight. But it's the idea that at the beginning, you know, you learn through your senses. You know, like, oh, I saw that, so I know it. You saw that, so you know it. Right. And it's really using their senses. And then it starts going to sensory perspective taking where it's like, oh, yeah, because you were there you saw it and now you know about blah 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 so I don't have to repeat for you and then it just there's different orders of theory of mind of perspective taking where you know like if to be able to uh, lie you have to be really good at perspective taking um, some of our kids actually are really good liars but they're really specific circumstances it might not be generalized it's just something they've had a lot of practice and they've gotten caught a lot so then they just get better out of um, practice but really, when you're looking at theory of mind, the important thing is they can't. The kids have to learn not to memorize the information. Okay. So, you know, back when he was learning language, I remembered that's dog, so it's a dog. I remember that's cat, that's a cat. You know, there's an easy way just to throw it into memory. But what they didn't do is they didn't analyze their environment. Like, what's going on? How do I know this? I was there. I was sitting there. I see. I hear. Which one of these is working right now? Which of these is in play? And then being able to, from there, understand like higher order, where you can't be embarrassed unless you know that a person has some expectation of you. Right. You know, and a lot of our kids will use embarrassment with no theory of mind because there's no. If they say they're embarrassed, there's no adult that's going to keep embarrassing them. They right. just let them out. 
Right. So then we think that they are embarrassed, but they really aren't. They just know that if they say this, they immediately get escaped. I see. <laughs> Now, these lessons are also in skills. All of this is in skills. There's a whole order in skills and under our cognition curriculum. If you go in there and actually go through, um, starting with just desires, to basic desires, all the way to um, sarcasm, identifying sarcasm and understanding intentions of other people, it's all in there. There's an order for it. But you can teach it, but the important thing is the kids cannot memorize, and they're okay. going to want to memorize every single response. Right. The danger, though, is if they just memorize the response without understanding how it works, they just get in trouble later. Okay. Because when they're caught in school, yeah. and they're like, why did you do this? Do you know why you're not supposed to? And then they say, yeah, I know, because some memorized response, they don't right. really understand how it works. They get in a lot of trouble. Okay, so we have to be careful change it up often enough so that they can't memorize the responses. And you also generalize too, like the kid where, there's a kid on the show and I won't say who, but a long time ago I asked when we were working on like how to, there's just general knowledge, things people know without ever talking. And I was like, does it get dark at night? And he was like, yes. And we had been going, I thought he knew it for sure. So we're walking to the park and I just pointed to some random stranger and I said, does he know that it gets dark at night? And he said, no. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> Why doesn't he? And he goes, he doesn't know. And I said, so okay, why doesn't he know? He goes, I don't know him. Ah. <laughs> and so then he, it was like, I was so like, okay. only people I know know that. Yeah. And so I didn't know that rule was what he had made. Right. Because we'd only used people around him. Right. And then he knew everybody around him. And so then I just said, okay, see that man? Um, he's out here now at the park. So do you think he ever goes outside at night? And then, so without telling him, you know? And then right. he's like, oh yeah, he goes outside at night. And I said, and so what do you think? Do you think yeah. he knows it's dark at night? And he was like, oh. <laughs> right? it was like light bulb shining. Yeah. You know? like, but those like, are the connections we want to make as early as possible because then they can add that into everything that they're doing right now. You could teach it to somebody when they're 27, but you know, let's spare them that and teach it as early as we possibly can. Yeah, and you just want to make sure that you know what they're thinking because then you know what all the logical rules are before you tell them what the right answer is. I, you know, the, the grandpappy of all, the, the mom I know that just could not get her child to stay dry at night, could not get him to stay dry at night, and just every night was getting up and having to wash the sheets, and it's just like so miserable, right? And finally one night in that fit of, you know, when you're not going to win the parenting award, it's like 3 o'clock in the morning and she's stripping the bed, and she just said to him, why, why can't you just get up and go to the bathroom at night in the middle of the night? And he said, oh, I thought I was supposed to go to bed and stay in bed. I'm allowed to get up? <laughs> and she was like, oh, face plant. Um, right? Because here he had this rule in his head and the conflicted with the rule of you must go to the bathroom. I go to bed and I've been told to stay in bed at night. If our kids will just tell us um, what the rules are in their head, we could solve a lot of the problems. Which for the kids like this, I always say you take a baseline of what their knowledge is. There you go. You have to be very neutral, and they can tell you all their wrong responses, and you don't respond to all of them. Okay. Because you need to hear all everything they're thinking in right. a very neutral, non-punishing way. Right. <laughs> so that you can know, like, oh, that's what you think. Right. <laughs> then you can go back and fix the deficits. But if you give any opinion, and because so many of our kids want to please their parents yeah. or their therapist or whoever they're working with, they, they try to out. give you all the answers that they think that you want to hear because someone's told them. Okay. They don't really get it. 
We've only got like four minutes left, so let's try to squeeze this one in. Hi, and thanks for your show. I'm using skills for my five-year-old. How many programs curriculum should I run for a 25-hour program? The main focus is on language and social. He can request and label, but not conversational or be able to answer more open questions like, what did you do at school today? He can answer, who did you play with? It's usually the same person, but at least he has a friend in this typical school setting. He has difficult with completing academic tasks and independent, uh, independently and with abstract academic concepts. He can memorize things, but understanding the concepts are harder for him. He has difficulty with attention and attending as well. Thanks for any suggestions so I can get started. And let's keep in mind, this is a five-year-old. So, you know, all those things, you know, there's a continuum, but we don't expect a five-year-old to be brilliant at a lot of the things on this list, right? Mm -hmm. we, and I just say that because I think a lot of times, you know, we have these expectations based on another child or, or something of, I, I just always loved the parent who came to me and said that on the IEP, they had asked that the, the goal was for the four-year-old to be able to attend for an hour <laughs> and I was like who put that there that's not even realistic for anybody uh, at five it's so difficult <laughs> or four yeah I mean there's so many there's kindergarten I mean this year uh, I was talking to a mom of a typical kid um, and the re they pulled out recess in preschool the four-year-old class and it was like, why did you? They're yeah. like, we need more instruction time. And it was like, is your kid really going to be listening if there's no place to run you around? Need a break all? for heaven's so, sake. Yeah, okay. it's the okay. So I wish I had a quick answer for this. My typical response, actually, off the top of my head, he's five. He should still be in a 40-hour program. There we go. I mean, honestly, he should be in a 40-hour program. Maybe 10 of those hours are in school. You know, um, helping him learn how to attend to the classroom, learning to attend teachers, working on peer play interaction. But the, if you're, the 25 hours remaining should probably be in the one-to-one -one setting, still working on getting to that level of you know, understanding abstract information, learning abstract concepts. And you're so being so kind, uh, you know, and you're a clinician and you like to be kind and, and you know, political, but the truth of the matter is for this mom, if you've got a five-year-old and, and you want them to go to school, I, I you know, studies show that a 40-hour program of intensive ABA is what gets it done. So you know, if you're doing it with skills at home and it is your time, but the truth of the matter is, and, and Dr. Grampichet doesn't say 40 hours, she says every waking hour. Why yeah. are you stopping at 25 is the question. Don't, don't, don't do this halfway. If you're gonna take the time, do this all the way. And get somebody in the neighborhood, call the local Kiwanis Club if you have to, get somebody else trained to help you. But, when, but the real question she wanted to know is how many, uh, how many programs should you be running in a 25-hour program? I would say that if he is not at the conversational level yet, you're probably looking at around 30 programs. 30 programs, okay. But, or 30 activities. Okay. Um, so it's lessons is a big one, and activities, many activities below a lesson. Yes. So I'd say around 30 activities. But as the information becomes harder to grasp, and it's less easy to memorize yes. and to really learn, the number comes down pretty quickly. Okay. Like when you get to learning theory of mind right. or executive functions attend, then your, your actually number of lessons in a 25-hour program is probably gonna be down okay. near 15 or 20. And keep in mind that some lessons you're gonna do more frequently and others you're gonna do less frequently. 
They're, they're not, they don't all have the same weight. No, um, they don't have the same weight. And just like we were saying, if you had 25 hours and you're only working on pure high-functioning lessons, you're probably down at 10 or 15 lessons. Okay. But if you have, if you're still at the process where there's just a lot of memorization going on, yeah. then you're probably near the 25, 30. Okay. You know, so Very it just cool. depends. Can I tell you how much we appreciate you? You are yes. just such a wonderful, wonderful light, and uh, we've all enjoyed this, and we love any time we get to have you here to answer questions. And thank you so much. It's so meaningful thank to you. me. I really appreciate you. Thank you so much. Uh, and we're going to take a break now, and when we come back, it's going to be time for Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy. Nancy Oswald Jackson is joining me, and our special guest today is Licensed in Marriage and Family Therapist. I put too many ands in there. Licensed Marriage and Family Therapist Vince Redmond, and we're going to be talking today about depression. We're at the end of January. There's less light right now than ever. We've had more parents and more clients and more people on the spectrum writing to us about feeling low uh, in the last couple of weeks. So we're really going to take it on and talk about depression and what you can do and the different kinds of depression. So all that plus in the news coming up after these messages. Stick with us. Parent-to-parent -to -parent token economies are a great way to get to good behavior with your child. So first of all, let's talk about what is a token economy. It's just a visual representation of reinforcement or a reward that's going to come later on for behavior that you've done now. So I've got a couple examples here of uh, token economies that I want to show you. But one of the most important things to remember with a token economy is that it's essential that whatever the child is working for be meaningful to them. So here, this is a two-part token economy. I've got a list of things for the child to pick from, to pick what they want to work for. So the child would pick off the one they want, put it on their other token economy, and you can see it says, I'm working for a play date. What a great thing to work for. And as this child progresses through their day at school, every time they do a task and they do a good job, they're going to get a token to put on this token economy. And we've got a rule in place for them that says maybe you have to get three tokens in order to get that reward, which today is a play date. And as the child gets better, we're going to make it harder and harder. Maybe next week it's going to be four tokens to get the play date. This is another token economy here. This is a task completion token economy, so every time the child completes a task that the, there's a picture of, they can peel off a token and put it on to demonstrate that they have completed that task. Again, it's essential that they get a really wonderful, meaningful reward for having gotten these tokens. Using a token economy can be much simpler than this, too, because you can download them to put a free app on any one of your devices. Right here on my phone, I've got a free app, Easy Kid Tokens, and when my child does a task and completes it, and I, he can specify what the stickers are. In this case, it is a ladybug. And when he gets three of them, then he's going to get his reward. This is a really simple way to take something with you when you're going on an outing and make sure that your child is staying on task and getting rewarded for the things that they do. It leads to good behavior. One of the most frightening things there is is when your child wanders away or elopes. Talk to us a little bit about what your degree is in. City planning or urban planning. 
I got from Cassie Northridge with a degree in cinema and television arts with an emphasis in screenwriting. And what are you interested in, Eli? Um, a video game internship. Sorry, I'm hoping to combine entertainment and travel, my two passions. Ooh, what kind of jobs are you working? Thank you, inventory. Okay, inventory. Talk about your volunteer job. Uh, Operation Guardian Fatigue, helping our soldiers. You volunteered to help the soldiers? Yes. I interned in the National Park in Santa Monica Mountains, which is fairly urban mm-hmm. area, so I worked with the uh, problems of how it's impacting the surrounding community, like the, uh, the flow of traffic and the flow of people and what they could do to plan and the parking. I've been to China. I've been all around Europe. I've been to Thailand, Japan, Australia. You can create an app? That's impressive. Really cool thing. Can you teach other people how to make yeah. an app? If you have a choice between uh, working or not working, working, you like working. Yes. Why? What do you like about working? It, it's fun. I would work. Yeah? You would choose work? Why? Because I get more or less, um, get, um, get paid and enjoy, enjoy it and want to make sure I have enough money so I can save it. Why do you need to have a full-time job? I mean, it's kind of like a duh thing, right? No, obviously, so <laughs> yeah. I can support myself right. and hopefully a family down the line, but at least first like myself i'm very dependable and uh always reliable and get to my job on time what excites you about working a job or being an intern learning new skills yeah what has it meant to you having this job and having the stability of a job that you've had for multiple years it's meant the world because i'm able to do everything that almost everything i wanted to do because of that job Right, an amazing organization that gives grants to families for a wide variety mm-hmm. of things, and they th- and you have different programs. Somebody said to me the other day, "Now I thought they only supported the military." Yeah, and I said, "No, they have a great program for yeah, military that's just families." One program. That's just one program. Right, they have a safety program. Um, they have all kinds of different programs. Assisted communication. Yeah, assistance dogs, tuition. But the truth is, is that, you know, a family, if it's something that has to do with the treatment of Mm -hmm. autism, they can ask for whatever they want. Right. That I I love, you know, that there are some organizations that just give iPads. And Mm -hmm. heaven knows that's a wonderful thing and that's fabulous. But not everybody needs an iPad. Right. Sometimes somebody needs locks for the door. Yes, exactly. And sometimes somebody needs a trampoline. Right. And we give some of those more practical things. Yeah. But it has to be... 
You have to apply for a grant. Yes. And there, you have four times during the year, and today is a very uh, fortuitous, fortuitous day for us to talk about it, because if you wanted to apply for a grant today, you could, mm -hmm. but that will not be true on Friday. That's right. Friday, the, the grants are closed because it's February 1st, and then you can't apply again until, what, April? April, April. right. So, um, you know, if you are in need right now, and by the way, you can apply for a grant for uh, ABA copays. Yes, you can. Um, you know, there, there are a wide variety of different things you can apply for. You can do that. Nancy's organization has given away, I, last count, I know you've given away 1.5, I'm sure it's more than that now, million. 1.85, There we go. Uh, that's uh, so you're almost at the two million mark. Yeah. We have to have like a some sort of a celebration when, yeah, you, when definitely. you keep the two million mark because that's a lot of help for a lot of families. Yeah. So there's that, and um, both Nancy and I are very proud autism parents right. as well. So right. that that I, I always used to say it's just a couple of autism moms sitting around talking. That's right. What that's what we're talking about. about. Anyway, and we like to cover in the news. Yes. To talk about what's new and and happening that might be of interest to you. So. Uh, many of you watch The Good Doctor, mm -hmm. um, and uh, we had, last year we had Kobe Bird on the show because he broke through a glass ceiling of sorts and in that he was an individual on the autism spectrum playing an individual on the autism right. spectrum on primetime television. And that, to our knowledge, had not happened before, mm -hmm. and he was 15 years old, and it mm -hmm. was just, and Kobe is luscious beyond luscious. So the good doctor um, this Monday, two nights ago, had another episode which we've known about for a while. Mm -hmm. and we're keeping it under our hats, uh, but there was a love story on the episode. You know that uh, Sean, the doctor on the show, has uh, feelings for uh, this woman that's in his life, and, and she's his, his roommate, his, right? Right, and he's trying to figure it out and sort it all out because mm -hmm. love is difficult for everybody, it is. right? But you know he doesn't really have a whole lot to judge by so right. I thought this was very clever writing that they had a young woman come into the hospital mm -hmm. who's on the autism spectrum and you need to watch this I'm not going to give the whole thing away for you you need to watch this but her the her roommate is there with her yeah who happens to be played by the friend of the show Alex Plank yes and Alex has been the semi-regular here on the show and mm -hmm. this was a big excitement for him when he booked this and when he went up uh, to Vancouver and filmed it mm -hmm. and because he's done some acting work before he's mm -hmm. the one who invented wrongplanet.net right. the website when he was 17 and and we adore Alex I think of Alex as being like you know the younger brother that I, I do have a younger brother but he's like another younger brother in my uh -huh. life and, and he and I have a relationship like a younger brother and an older sister he loves to bait me and, <laughs> and, you know, say something and then and then I'll be like, what? And he'll go, I'm just kidding. Mm -hmm. You know, it's that kind of a relationship. We love Alex. Um, but Alex plays this role beautifully. Uh, I think what is so exciting for, I think, the autism community and maybe the rest of the community doesn't know is that this character is very dissimilar to Alex. Mm -hmm. He's doing an acting job. Mm -hmm. He's just bringing a wealth of knowledge about autism to it so that it's very right. sensitive, right. but it's not the kind of autism that Alex himself has. So that was sort of thrilling for me to see Alex act. Mm -hmm. um, was really lovely. And the girl who plays the, the girl, his roommate, was truly... Uh, delicious in the role and there is a beautiful beautiful moment you must see um it just was really lovely and it's really all about 
how those on the spectrum experience sex and romance differently. Well, it is about that, but it was very interesting um, because another character, a doctor, is trying to like constantly define things for mm -hmm. other people. Mm -hmm. I guess she's a control freak. And she was like, well, it's this or it's that. And you see Sean watching her try to define stuff. And then there's another doctor who's a foil to her who's like, no, it doesn't. It's not that way because you say it is. Mm -hmm. Like, let people have their feelings. At one point when they say there's a girl here and she she's on the autism spectrum and she turns to look at Sean like, you know, what do you have to say about mm -hmm. that? And the other doctor looks at her like, what is your problem? And she's like, well. And she goes, well, they don't all know each other. Mm -hmm. Like, what? Okay, so she's on the autism right. spectrum. Doesn't what do you mean want Sean to do? Like, they're not related. Jump up and down. Right, and like, say, what's he saying? Yeah. So there's humor, and, you know, the good doctor is so great at all of this. Um, but we want to encourage people go and watch the episode. It's available on demand right now. Uh, and watch it. I'm sure it's on Hulu and all those other things as well. Support Alex, and I don't know the name of the, the young girl. She's a very good actress, too. Um, uh, Fiona Googleman. Fiona Googleman. Okay, and so, you know, spread some love on them uh, and let them know that you enjoyed it, and uh, and look at the people at the good Oh, actually, I think Vera Blonstein played the other okay. role. I was going to say, I don't know what her name is. <clears throat> yeah. I've not met her before. And now I know <clears throat> in talking to Alex um, that, you know, she was just delightful to work with, that they had a really good time mm -hmm. and became good friends uh, in the taping of this. So we're, we're thrilled for Alex. We're thrilled for The Good Doctor. But honestly, you know, it is, what, the top-rated show yes. on television right now. Um, but don't take that for granted. Don't just assume that they everybody knows and... Um, and that we're all loving it. Let ABC know that this is important yeah. to you and that you're watching and that you're loving it because that means that not only will this show persist longer, but that other shows will be in the making, and we've seen that come right. to fruition. Right. So, okay, now that, that was our good news that we let off with. So let's, let's turn to some, you know, the ick, and then we'll get back to something interesting. Um, yeah. I'm sick to death of hearing of teachers and aides that don't know what to do when someone is misbehaving in the classroom or when someone is not even misbehaving, behaving differently. Yeah. Um, and, and it's appalling to me, but we need to keep talking about it because I need to at least say to parents, um, do everything that you can, which means getting a behavior intervention plan attached to your IEP. So having said that, we're going to wade into this story that happened in Okaloosa County, Florida. Uh -huh. Uh, a Florida teacher and two aides are currently being accused of abusing three different children with autism by shutting them inside a dark bathroom and blowing a whistle in one's ear. One who is particularly susceptible to sensory, sensory. issues. Um, the alleged incidents took place between September 1st and November 14th of last year, and all three suspects the teacher and the two aides have been charged with aggravated child abuse. Um, the investigators say that on different occasions, the teacher and the aides intentionally and maliciously uh, blew the whistle into the child with low sensory auditory threshold, um, who typically wears earphones mm -hmm. to reduce noise, and that they put children in a dark bathroom. One uh, was left inside for an hour and a half. 
and that the children would be screaming and mm-hmm. crying while they were in these bathrooms. Like I, clearly just abuse all the way around. Yeah. There's no other way you can look at it. I, you know, I, I know that people will say, well, these people didn't know what else to do. And, and look, I get that. But, you know, I don't know about you, but I've been in plenty of situations where I didn't know what else to do. Mm-hmm. And, and I was saying earlier about how, you know, sometimes you don't win the Parent of the Year Award because you try right. and say something or right. do something with your child. But afterwards you go, well, that was not. But to leave somebody in a bathroom for an hour and a half we transcend all of that. That's mm-hmm. just cruelty. And to blow a whistle in a kid's ear with auditory processing. I, you know, difficulties uh, is just downright cruel. I I really hope they throw the book at these people and lock them up because the message needs to be sent that you're mm-hmm. held accountable for things that you do in the classroom. And, and it's not just for the teacher and the aides that I want to be held accountable. I want for whoever was overseeing those people mm-hmm. to be held accountable. For the lack because of training. You, for, for the lack of training, for the lack of oversight, because you should know what's happening in these classrooms. And if you don't, it's on you. Uh, you know, I, I mean, there's no way if a child is screaming, somebody else heard that. Mm-hmm. Classrooms are not so separated from each other. Somebody should have blown the whistle and said, I'm seeing this, I'm aware of this, this isn't right. Right. And I know that teachers hang together and aides are afraid to report on a teacher, but we're talking about children here. You've got to, got to, got to, got to speak up. So, um, and eventually somebody did. A witness reported them, mm-hmm. um, but we're talking about things that happened from September 1st to November 14th. Um, speak up, people, speak up. Uh, absolutely horrible. We're going to follow this case. They've been charged with aggravated child abuse, and I hope that they do jail time. Um, and I hope that every single aide and teacher who has kids in the classroom recognizes that, you know, these are crimes. Mm-hmm. This is a crime. Mm-hmm. Don't commit a crime, and this right. won't happen right. to you. And if you need training, speak up. We're offering free training here. So speak up. You need to know something, write in and ask us a question. I'll be happy to get it answered by an expert. Okay, now we have a rather scientific story. I thought this was cool and fun. Did yeah, you, did you? but I didn't understand what the chick inspired autism okay. test meant. So um, there's there's this dude, Giorgio Valoturagio. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I just slaughtered his name, right? But he uh, was developing software, and he was interested in looking at responses of different kinds of animals. Right. Uh, and what he what he noted is that um, chicks are able to, they have, uh, um, I don't know if we uh, have a picture, when you grabbed a picture for this, uh, Trayvon, I don't know if you grabbed that picture, but uh, there are two things that look sort of like uh, a head. I'll I'll hold it up here so you guys, I don't think you're going to be able to see. Uh, But it looks sort of like a head, and in one of them, it has three dots that Mm -hmm. are in a line, Mm -hmm. and in the other one, it has three dots that are aligned in a way that it suggests a human face. Um, Very... You know, it's sort of like when you look at a picture of a car and it's got the headlights and it's got the grill and you go, oh, that looks like a a face, face, right? So um, he put these things down to see if chicks would be drawn more to the human face than the non-human face and found that they were. And so this started a whole uh, way of thinking of, wait a second, why do some animals and some people notice the, the face and, and that if they do notice the face, that that is the typical development, right. right? But if somebody doesn't notice the face, 
then um, that suggests that there are other things happening. And this has led to looking at maybe we can take babies. And have them look at these diagrams. And see if they are drawn to the human face, because if they aren't, then, and we know that kids yeah. with autism, especially ones that have, uh, it's not dysgraphia, but there's another name for when you can't recognize faces, um, that if they aren't drawn to that, then we would start early intervention mm -hmm. of maybe five months mm -hmm. to ensure that that child doesn't get behind. Right. How exciting would that be? That would be very exciting. And, you know, all kinds of research have been done about face recognition on the autism spectrum, and it's all sort of fascinating to me. Um, they, with neurotypical people and with people on the spectrum, they took a bunch of sports pictures mm -hmm. and they blanked out the face. And they showed a picture of, like, Serena Williams you know, lunging to get a, um, a ball playing tennis and they blacked out the face, just fuzzed it, right? And said, what do you think she's feeling right now? And it was so interesting that for neurotypical people, when we don't have the face, mm -hmm. we don't know. Mm -hmm. We're like, I, I can't even, like, we, we get right, shut down. Right. But people on the autism spectrum, with or without the face, they said the same thing. Mm -hmm. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. That you and I taken facial expression and mm -hmm. assign more value to that than the whole body. Right. But people on the autism spectrum completely just leave that out and, and sometimes will take, take in the whole body mm -hmm. but not, not be focused on the face. I just find that fascinating. Mm -hmm. We're finding more and more of these things. And when we find how the brain works differently, it's, mm -hmm. it's so... It leads to knowledge of what to do to help people to overcome where the obstacles are. Right. But it's also helpful the other way for you and I to learn, because you know that there are people on the autism spectrum that can do things a lot better than you and I mm -hmm. can do, and that maybe sometimes looking at the whole body and not focusing on the face is the thing to do, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Anyway, it's just fascinating to me. I kind of so, like it. Yeah, I it's... On it. it's um, they developed a simple test that could screen these babies. So Yeah, well, and so you can read more about this. I don't remember where we got the article from. Horizon. Horizon. The EU Research and Innovation Magazine. There we go. Fabulous. Thank you. So you guys can, if you, this sort of thing flips your switch. Yeah. Um, definitely check it out and read more about it. I'm fascinated by all the ways they're using zebrafish because they're finding that zebrafish are very similar to individuals on the spectrum. Which is interesting. Isn't it? I don't, I don't know how itself. you figure that out. I don't either. <laughs> but anyway, so, um, excuse me, now I've got the hiccups. We have so, Vince Redman. Right. Uh, he's going to be joining us in just a few minutes to talk about depression. Because... It's the time of year. We, it, it, well, it is... And it's also pervasive in our community. Um, let's face it, there's a lot that could, if you uh, you know, don't do something about it, lead you down a path of depression and keep you mm -hmm. there. And I th we've all been there, right? I don't think there's a person who is anywhere in the autism community that hasn't felt some level of depression at some time. So I'm glad we're going to be talking about this with a professional. Uh, and, and there's nobody better than Vince because he's been a therapist mm -hmm. and now he's a licensed marriage and family mm -hmm. therapist. So... We're going to take a break, and we're going to get Vince on Skype to join us, and we'll be back. Stick with us. You say howdy, we say hi. Let's get rowdy, let's get wild. Let's get, let's get, 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 let's get wild. 
Welcome back to Autism Live. I'm Lisa Ackerman, Executive Director of TACA. We're going to bake again. All right. It's my lovely assistant. Hi, I'm Jennifer Lucero. We've heard so many people go, I want a decent chocolate chip cookie for my kid to eat. We've got our, um, all our dry ingredients. So I've got the flour, I've got the flaxseed meal, baking soda, baking powder, our gum, or xanthan gum. Great. So we're going to get started in the mixer here. So there's our dry ingredients. Um, I do have uh, brown sugar. We did cut this down. And the one way to do that is my favorite, and that's maple syrup. I'm using egg for this recipe, but we could use more um, uh, arrowroot and also um, the flaxseed meal. So I'll go ahead and throw my eggs in here, which I love doing. So and then the last thing is a shortening and a gluten-free, casein-free butter replacement. So I'm going to go ahead and throw this in. Um, I've let it sit out for a while so it's nice and soft. So let's go ahead and mix this thing well. These are dairy-free, soy-free, and I really like them. Again, Enjoy Life is a great product. It's also nut-free. And chocolate chips are a personal thing. I won't judge you if you use the whole bag. I would. I know, right? <laughs> so here we go. Great recipe. It's the nice consistency. Um, everything's ready to go so we can enjoy our cookies here in just about 10 minutes. We want to give it a kind of like a couple inches between each cookie. You know, a lot of people are really concerned about aluminum, so what I've done is I laid down my uh, natural brown um, parchment paper and Jen's helping out putting the cookies down. So we're separating uh, the nice big good that's all organic uh, from the aluminum cookie sheets. So let's go put these right. in. So magic oven allows me to pull the last ones out. And voila. Yum, that's good. Really great cookies. I'll let you have a bite so you can see my Vanna White there too. Mm. Yeah, these taste pretty good. good. Really good. Mm. We're going to come back later after I gain five pounds and <laughs> eat this entire tray. For sure. You know, more feedback is good. So if there's something you want us to convert, like yeah. a, another recipe or maybe a relative main, just let us know, autismlive at gmail.com. You can go to Facebook, or there's thousands of recipes on the TACA website just waiting for you to explore. You can go to TACANOW, T-A-C-A-N-O-W.org, and we'll see you next time at Autism Live. Bye. Hello there, fellow activist. You're an activist because you're making the world a better place for someone living with autism. Now on Autism Live, you learn all about your children. You learn about their bodies and their brains. But this empowerment moment is all about you. It's about your heart and your soul. Now don't worry, I'm not gonna have you start singing Kumbaya or doing chanting. Let's talk about blessings. One of the blessings of living with a child with autism is learning to love them unconditionally. Learning to love them despite all the ups and downs, all the sacrifices. In fact, you learn to love them more so because of them. I call this my empowerment prayer. God grant me the wisdom to see my disability as an opportunity, the courage to love my child unconditionally, and the faith to live a life of purpose. So going from the sublime to the ridiculous, I have a little song for you today. 
it's a rap song, so I know that an old or, okay, middle-aged white woman rapping just doesn't seem right, but I'm going to go for it anyway. My style is a little like Nicki Minaj meets Dr. Seuss. Nancy's Autism Rap. It's just a diagnosis, your life's not over. Don't lay there like a dog, get up, Rover. You say your head is spinning with GFCF. ABA, IEPs, and neurofeedback? Autism tough, that much is true. But you'll survive because you're you. Your life's not over, it's just begun. So walk out that door and go be someone. More Dr. Seuss than Nicki Minaj. Until next time, stay strong and keep the faith. You're so we're cute. Back. Oh, look at how cute you are <laughs> with your little autism rap. You're so fun. Um, but uh, we've got joining us right now, and we don't want to make him wait, Vince Redman. He's one of our favorite people on the planet. Vince is a wealth of knowledge because he was a behavioral therapist for many years and then became a licensed marriage and family therapist. So he's such a gift to all of us because he gets both sides of it. Um, I, I always tell the story about how I went to a therapist at some point and she said, well, after see, hearing about everything, I can tell you there's one thing you should get rid of because it's so stressful. It's that ABA therapy. <laughs> That's what's stressing you out. You should get rid of that. And, and I, that was the end of that, right? Uh, so it's just a treat to have somebody who gets it from both sides. So Vince, um, you are the director of family services at CARD. You're just everything about you is wonderful. So thank you for joining us again. And uh, <laughs> and we asked you to come today to talk with us about the big D, depression. And what, what a happy topic, right? All right. But, but a relevant topic, right? Right. We're coming off the holidays, New Year, it's cold outside. It actually is something that we want to talk about. It's not something to be ashamedful of. It's not something to, to keep quiet about. We actually want to talk about it because the first step in, in making it better, the first step in getting more support, the first step in feeling better is actually bringing it up. So I think this is a perfect time for this topic. Absolutely. Are you finding more parents with depression this time of year? We do. Yeah, I actually do. Both in both at CARD and in my private practice, you find this time of year to have more depression, more depression going through for multiple reasons. Obviously, family dynamics and things that are going on. But this time of the year, in the winter and the cold and the celebrations of the holidays concluding, and everyone going back to kind of their their, their regular lives or their regular schedules, oftentimes can bring forth um, some depression or, or depressive feelings. It might not actually be a complete depressive episode, but having depressed feelings um, for multiple reasons. But yeah, I would say this this time of year, it's, it's more prevalent. I also find that this time of the year, change is hard for me. Yeah, me I struggle with change. And this time of year, I feel like even if I try really hard to make as little change as possible, uh, it seems like the world has decided to make January that we're going to make it all tipsy-turvy. Your insurance changes. Uh, like, even if you kept the same insurance, what they cover and how they cover, and it's a new year, and you've got new co-pays again. I, I mean... Your, your ABA schedule changes. Like, there are just so many things that mm -hmm. change this time Schools of year. And, and I, 
I uh, always talk about the the bug on the, the the lawnmower syndrome that sometimes I feel like I'm a bug riding on the lawnmower and everything's just hitting me right, right. so fast that I'd rather go back to the holidays where it's hectic but it's nice because this is all stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, so there's that on top of it in January. Then yeah. and then I just teased and said it's tax time, right? Because uh, we're all getting those forms, and and now we have to take care of that too. Mm -hmm. That just makes me want to run into well, the yeah. ocean and put my head in the sand. <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. Right. Run and hide, exactly. Um, but but I know I've noticed in the last couple of weeks just the people writing into the show and calling in in the office that everybody's feeling it right now, and it. And it isn't just the anxiety and the stress. Everybody's feeling a little bit of the the depression. So I and their kids are too. And I just thought this is a great topic. You and I mm -hmm. talked about it and said this is the the thing to talk about. So Vince, um, you know, we we've identified that pretty much everybody's feeling it at some point. And is there still a stigma? Are people still feeling like they can't own up to it if 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 that's what they're feeling? Do you see that in life, Vince? I do, and, and, and that's why I had said that in the beginning, because I think there still is a lot of stigma out there about reaching out for help mm. uh, in general, either it be from depression or anxiety, or sometimes it's just confusion about things, right? Especially in our world of baby A, there's so much out there, so many things going on, so many different uh, treatments and opinions and, and uh, uh, behavior plans and so forth that it can be very overwhelming. And you see that, you see that there's still, it's not its near, not nearly as bad as it used to be, let me preface that, but there still is the stigma that, that people are embarrassed to reach out for help. They're more reserved to ask for help. They don't wanna reach out because they might feel that that's a judgment on them and their inabilities to, to either handle the stress or handle their situations. Um, or even just managing their emotions. So that first step is really just not being shy about asking for help. And who can they ask for help from? What would yeah. be the first line of defense there? Well, uh, again, it, depending on their situation, the first thing I would, you know, if they're in an ABA agency, the first thing is to reach out to your supervisor. Reach out to your clinical care supervisor, the one who's in charge of your program, and let them know what's going on. Sometimes just a nice rapport, nice dialogue with them could help alleviate some of the emotions. However, if it's more serious than that, then they can get you in contact with maybe more services within their organization, or they can give you contacts to resources outside the organization that can help you know, provide some professional counseling for you. There you go. I was just thinking about it when you were saying it. I, you know, we talked last night about the fact that I, neither one of us are shy talking about our own circumstances, right. and I, I certainly have uh, suffered from chronic depression in in my life, and sometimes it's more manageable than other mm -hmm. times, right? Um, but for me, I don't think it's that I feel embarrassed or ashamed to say uh, and ask for help when I'm feeling it. It's more that. When I get low, it doesn't occur to me that something else could help mm -hmm. and that talking to someone could help. Um, and do you find that, Vince, that people just, because when I'm low, I'm, I, you know, I just feel like, well, what could anybody do? Right. I just feel low. Um, but, but it can help tremendously. Sure, sure. To talk and that's to where somebody. that hopelessness comes in, and that that uh, you know those those depressive thoughts that come into our minds that nobody understands me or no one will be able to help me if I can't help myself. Um, there's no there's no help out there. You know, there's a 
lot of those depressive thoughts or automatic thoughts that come into our minds when we're that low, right? When our emotions and our, our abilities feel so depressed that we start to believe that there's, there is no help out there or that help that is out there isn't right for you or isn't going to be effective for you. However, it absolutely is, right? Everyone can benefit from counseling if they're feeling depressed or anxious or overwhelmed. And Nancy, what about you? Well, I've suffered from depression on and off my whole life. And you're right that sometimes when you're in the middle of it, you tend to pull inward and you feel like that's the time you can't reach out. Yeah. But um, in order to be there for our kids, we really have to take our oxygen first, so to speak. Amen to that, and, sister. Yeah. And it can have an effect on your child's development and how well they're doing. Yeah. You know, they pick up on these things, right, Vince? Well, and, and that's a great point, Nancy. I think it, it also, it, 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 it travels through the entire family, right? Um, I think sometimes we believe that our children aren't aware of our emotions or they're not aware of how we're feeling and that we put on a good enough mask or a good enough um, disguise to be able to shield them from that. But that's not true. The, our kids are actually very good about identifying our behaviors and our in our emotions and knowing when we're sad, depressed. And you're right. If we're not able to uh, manage, it's going to be much more difficult to manage a family, manage behaviors, manage an ABA program, manage mar a marriage, right? These are things that oftentimes are, are uh, you know, that, that struggle or that are damaged if we don't seek help, you know, as soon as we, we feel that we're depressed. Right. And, and it's important for us in all things to model behavior that we want to see in our mm -hmm. kids and, 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 <clears throat> that if we are feeling something and need to get help, to model that behavior to our kids, because I want to shift the conversation now to talking about depression in our, uh, in our children, mm -hmm. in our teens, and in our adults, because we know that statistically they are more likely to experience depression, and that it would be easy for a parent to miss uh, the symptoms. I know very close to home here, we, we have a colleague that recently her daughter committed suicide at a mm -hmm. very young age. Mm -hmm. um, and there's been an increase in suicides among young, younger children. And I know that for that mom, you know, uh, we're going to have her uh, hopefully on the show to talk about, because she says, you know, as, as distraught as she is over it, she wants to make sure that other parents get the message mm -hmm. and, and know how to help their kids. So maybe, Vince, if we talk a little bit about understanding the difference between when our kids are upset and potentially in danger mm -hmm. of of committing suicide. How how do we recognize that? Well, and, and, and that's a great question because oftentimes the symptoms of depression for a young uh, you know a, a young child a young teen are different than those of full mature adults, right? So when you're looking at teens and you're looking at your young adolescents and you feel that something emotionally might be wrong. Maybe they're being picked on at school. Maybe they're struggling with their academics. Um, you, 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 when you think of depression, you think they're going to be sad. They're going to be cry a lot. They're going to isolate. They're going to be by themselves. However, if you have kids that are acting out, that are aggressive, that are, are, that are hanging out with the wrong crowd, getting social appraisal and from uh, from crowds that might be unhealthy, they're you know they're you know uh, uh, experimenting in drugs and alcohol. This is these are also 
signs of depression um, in young teens. So when we see this, sometimes I think families just write that off as, you know, this is just a phase they're going through as a teenager or this is a developmental stage. If it's out of their typical norm, right, out of their personality norm, these are signs that there could be depression and that we would want to address that right away. And how would we address it, Vince? Is it, is it a quick phone call to get them in to talk to somebody? And, and where do we find that person? I just feel like that's a ginormous hurdle yeah. of, of, you know, saying, okay, in, in this moment, this is scaring me, so I'm going to get a professional. And where do you even find them? And that feels like it would be something that would take days, weeks, and months, and, and that it might be something that you need to hurry. That is true. It is. It is. It could take time, it, and a lot of that could come from actually, you know, like you were saying, finding a, a good fit for your child, and also the resistance you're going to experience from the teen. Right. Very rarely is a teen right off the bat going to say, "Okay, let's go to counseling. Let's make it better." Right. Because oftentimes they're in denial. They're in. They're. They're still very angry. There's. They still don't understand what is going on either because it could be something about their past it could be grieving it could be that they're being picked on at school whatever it may be so you're right so i think that as a parent we need to first start in first start talking with our kids more being more involved in what they're doing being more involved in their daily activities being more involved in their friendships keeping them involved in things that are positive like um, either be school activities, after school activities, academics, athletics, arts, those types of things to make sure that their peer groups are peer groups that we want them to be with. And again, slowly integrating, don't just all of a sudden now be a, a, a hovering parent and is now involved in everything when we never were before, but slowly integrate in and be more involved with your child. Talk to them more. This is, don't always ask them about their emotions. Just to some extent, and this is going to sound a little funny, but get to know them again. Get to know them on where they are right now, right? Johnny of 10 is no longer Johnny of 15. Johnny that's 15 is a much different person. A must, he's experiencing things that he's never experienced before. And we want to be able to get to know that Johnny. And when we do that, we establish a new relationship where that can open up communication. And then maybe we're able to to kind of you know turn the turn the tables then, but if not, and we still think professional counseling would be helpful, at least now we have a good working relationship and a trusting relationship where we can then go to the next level, and there'll be a lot less you know uh, teenage resistance. Okay, all of that is so helpful. Yeah, I feel like this subject is it's a little overwhelming for me, isn't it, is. it for yeah. you? Yeah. I mean, you know, as much as I hate to do when we do shows where we talk about how to estate plan uh -huh. for when we're not here and right. I find myself like, you know, being like, I don't want to think about that. I don't yeah. wanna... It's the same thing. Like, I get a little paralyzed yeah, get, thinking yeah. about, you know, I, I would rather do anything in my life than have my child be depressed and take his own life. Mm -hmm. Like anything. I'd right. rather do anything right. in the world. Um, and yet, I don't feel empowered as a parent to, you know, because if you haven't been there and you don't know, right. I'm sure that, you know, parents who've been through this have a wealth of knowledge to say to us, I wished I'd done this, I wished I'd done that. Mm -hmm. um, and, and Vince, I, I appreciate all this because what you just said about noticing a change in behavior, yeah. that I was like, oh, okay, well, that's something I can latch on to. That's something that I can, I can keep an eye out for. 
Um, are there other things that are like that that are sort of hallmarks? It's kind of, it's not a one-size-fits-all, right? Yeah. It's not, but, but you're right. I mean, and that's why we say a shift in behavior from their typical norm, right? So as, you know, we have kids that are way energetic and they're off the walls and they're playing sports and they're doing this and they're doing that, a, a dramatic shift in their behavior might be more isolation, more slowing down, more inclusive. But then we have other kids that maybe are a little bit more passive, a little bit more, you know, behind the scenes and all of a sudden, now they're aggressive and acting out and want to be in the center of attention and, and are, 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 are spending more time with groups that, that might not be healthy. You know, any dramatic shift in behavior, whatever that may be for your child, that is, that is a, a hallmark cue, right? That's a cue that we want to look into or a clue that we want to look into to see what's going on. It's not always a negative, like crying and, and, and isolating. It could be an ex, you know, uh, uh, it could be anger. It could be a resistance to going to school now. It could be, um, you know, uh, uh, only wanting to uh, uh, play with one certain friend for a child who used to be very charismatic and play with multiple friends, right? So any dramatic shift would be something to cue us in that something's not right. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean depression, but something's going on and we need to dig in and see what's going yeah. on. Yeah, and I'm thinking even, you know, when we get to a certain age and, and kids are becoming interested in, uh, you know, romantic relationships potentially, that even a, a child acting like everything is happy but only spending time with that person is something that we need to monitor because we see, I mean, we, we just saw this a couple of years ago that there was a young girl on the autism spectrum that her there had been a behavior change mm -hmm. and mom thought she was happier, mm -hmm. but she was only spending time with one friend. Mm -hmm. And what, what ended up happening, it, what they found, because then she went missing and mm -hmm. they discovered that that friend was introducing her to somebody that she should not have been introduced right, to, right. who was taking advantage. Um, you know, and, and fortunately, eventually they located her mm -hmm. and got her back home, but you know, like all the things that we don't want to have happen right. to our children. Right. So even watching when that, that restrictive behavior, if it's just around one person, even if they appear to be happy, uh, could be a thing. Gosh, it is overwhelming. And then how about for our kids that it's difficult to communicate to begin with right. um, and, and to say, you know, that, that you know, they, they don't really understand how they're feeling anyway, so to get that baseline is hard. What about that, Vince, for, for the, the kids who aren't talkative uh, for whatever reason, whether they have verbal communication but they don't talk about their feelings or they do not have vocal speech? How do we know? And it goes back to the same thing. Look for behavior change, right? Okay. Are they more grumpy? Are they more aggressive? Are they more sad? Are they more withdrawn? Are they, you know, more and I use this word loosely, but more flirty, right? Are they, you know, is that out of character for someone who's more shy and passive and cautious? All of a sudden becomes, like you said, it looks like they're being real happy and real flirty. That could also be a cue that something's going on. They're compensating for something. They might be overcompensating for um, a lack of self-esteem or that they're feeling, uh, you know, lower on their abilities or less confident in their abilities. So we need to look at what's going on around them. And that goes back to what we were saying earlier about be then become more involved, be more involved in their therapies, be more involved in 
their treatments. Be in better communication with teachers, um, administrators, and supervisors, so that we can see it, are these behavior changes changing in different environments? Are they hanging out with different people at school? Um, are maybe they're being challenged more in their ABA program, and that's that's really uh, hurting their self confidence. I mean, there's lots of different things to do, but being more involved at that point is is absolutely necessary. Yeah. And sometimes that means, just like when they were little, meeting them wherever they are, mm -hmm. playing with whatever thing that they like to play. Um, I think, you know, Nancy's a great example of, you're such a good mom, that uh, Wyatt loves to paint. Mm -hmm. And so often in the night, uh, if I'm talking to you yeah. in the evening, Wyatt's painting and you're sitting there with him mm -hmm. while he's painting and he's asking you questions about, you know, what color is this, mom? Right, what would you right. consider this color? Right. I was... I always just think that is like the sweetest thing in the world. And I am one of those parents where my child has gotten very adept at, you know, he would rather for me to be away. Mm -hmm. He wants to play his video games with mm -hmm. his friends. He doesn't want me in the room because, as he says, I wreck everything. Uh -huh. Thank you. Because, like, there's some level of violence in everything. And I go, I don't like that. And he's, so he doesn't want me there. He's like, go away. Mm -hmm. I don't need you to see this. But I need to push it a little bit. I need to make him nothing makes him happier than if somebody who doesn't know how to play VR plays VR with him because he loves he loves to show it he loves to teach right, it to somebody right. and I need to you know do more virtual of that virtual reality for those who don't know what that virtual, is virtual yes the virtual reality social media don't forget social media right I mean right. make sure your friend and make sure you're following your, your child's social media because yeah. oftentimes you'll see trends there before you actually notice it at home. Mm -hmm. I don't think either. Uh, Jem's not big social media. Neither is, is Wyatt. Jem uh, texts. Yeah. And I and and he knows that every once in a while I grab his phone mm -hmm. and I go through all the texts mm -hmm. and I comment on, you know, what's being said and whatever. But he's thank goodness we have not gotten into yeah. that yet. And I'm I'm hoping we don't get into yeah. that. But sooner. that's something that parents need to look into. Obviously, what their child is involved in on mm -hmm. social media, right? Right, right, and and I know I know personally we've had friends and family members that we've caught you know different things because we've had different family members that have followed or mm -hmm. been part of their social media where there's been depression, anxiety, suicidal ideations, and we've been able to get in contact with the parents and the parents had no idea this was going on, right. so we've been able to you know help different friends and family members you know find help for their child or their children um, when the parents didn't know that that was happening. So that support network that we all have around us, not only for our kids, but for our families, is also you know, very helpful as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, I'm, uh, Jem has a Facebook account, mm -hmm. um, but we have said no to the Snapchat because mm -hmm. that's the one that they can say something and it goes away. Goes away yeah. And I, so you can't check it. So we've said, mm, there's no Snapchat. Um, I don't, like I, I need to look and I don't think he has an Instagram, Instagram. but I'm just realizing I, I need to look at that. Uh, we all need to stay uh, in tune with that. On top but, of that for our kids, uh, yeah. Yes, because if our kids are, I know people who have kids who are very active mm -hmm. on Facebook. A lot of kids are uh, in the autism spectrum are not as into Facebook, mm -hmm. and I think that's a blessing. Mm -hmm. um, I, I although I do think I wish somebody would teach a class in how to be on Facebook and how to instant message for individuals on the autism spectrum because 
I, you know, I, I know somebody can instant message me and the way in which they do it, mm-hmm. uh, I pretty much, I'm not a person who can diagnose autism, but I can right. go, that's one of my friends on the autism spectrum, right. the way they uh, instant message. And I, and I know that they have expressed to me, I'm frustrated. I, I write to people and they don't write back. Mm-hmm. And, and I've said, you know, well, but because you need to say this, not this. Right. I wish somebody would teach that class, Vince. Well, and that can be part of the, an ABA program. I know for me, I've worked with several young adults over the years, especially you know uh, as social media is continuing to boom, to actually appropriate you know what's going on on social media, how to converse during social media, what to look at, what not to look at, how to friend or defriend or follow or not follow. You know, there's so many different things, but that actually is a learning skill. That's you know as much as we you know we see the the positives and negatives of social media it's not going anywhere yeah so we we can build programs that we have you know on how to appropriately use social media as for for social you know for social reasons and nothing more well vince you're amazing nancy did you have a question no i don't think so okay was uh, you're absolutely amazing, Vince, and we just adore you, and you're, you're such a gift to the autism community, and especially to CARD, uh, as, as you're the Director of Family Services, and, and help so many of us with so many different things, myself included. Um, so we, we just want to thank you for being with us once a month and helping us to sort of get a handle on some of these things and give great advice. Not a problem. My pleasure. Thank you so Good much for being with us, Vince. All right, ladies, have a great rest of your week. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. All right, we're going to take a short break, and then we're going to come back. I'm going to talk a little bit about tomorrow's show and something that we're doing live on Friday. So um, stick with us. Back with more Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy after these messages. Love is a battlefield. Autism and PTSD for parents. It's a thing. I'm here to tell you it's survivable. What you need to do is remember, this is not for the faint of heart. There's actually a study that was done on mothers of children with autism, and it said, oh, this is very similar to PTSD among soldiers. And we're like, "Uh uh-huh, we needed a study for that. We already knew this. However, You've got to remember that stress is very important, not only because it's just stress that we're all dealing with, part of the modern day life, it can have serious effects. Not only does it affect your child, your spouse, other members of your family, it also affects your health. The stress is linked to immune system conditions, which can be creating conditions like risk for cancer, heart attack, stroke, anxiety, social isolation, which also depresses your immune system further, and even, girls listen to this, hair loss. How do we handle this kind of chronic battlefield condition? Well, we have to do what generals do. We get the troops together, we demand support, we push for what we need. So when you go into your meeting with the schools, be sure and you have people with you because it can be very difficult if you don't have someone with you to help you. Get letters from the doctors, get your evaluations, do what you need to do 
to get what you can for your child because that ends up making your stress less. Over the years, as you deal with this kind of stress, remember, it can be your friend because it can tell you things need to change. It can also be your enemy because it can create a lot of bad conditions. The moral of the story is don't be too strong for too long. Okay. We're talking about Super Bowl. Right. What do you what do? What do you do? Do you celebrate or not? Oh, well, I, I was saying to Nancy that that's uh, every Super Bowl, I take the day and I go to Joanne's Fabric and I get myself some sort of thing and I sew. That is my tradition. <clears throat> I went to graduate school in Denver, Colorado for three years. And two of the three years, the, the Denver Broncos, Broncos went to the Super Bowl. were in the Super Bowl and John Elway was, you know, king right, and right. everything. And I you know, had many parties that I could have gone to, but I thought it was great because the entire city of Denver was shut down except for Joanne's Fabric. <laughs> and I would sew, so that's my tradition now. What do you do for Super I Bowl? just, you know, if there's a party nearby, I might go, but I'm not into the big parties. I can't even, I can't yeah. even, I don't have enough words at to say at a Super Bowl party to warrant my flesh being right, there, right? right? Nor do I. And it's painful to me that to watch, and like it's just so boring. Yeah, I agree. Um, so I just don't participate. So we're in not big sports fans. So <laughs> we offended Sorry. you. Sorry. But tell uh, us, you've got some things going on this week. You've got Friday. Yes. Something coming so up. So Friday, uh, we're announcing this today. Uh, we're going to do a live feed from the Cal ABBA conference. This is the ABA um, California mm -hmm. conference. And um, I had talked when I was up at the autism conference the other day about how much I love a good poster session. Mm -hmm. And this is when people who have done research, they submit to put their, they put it all on a poster, they put it on a board and they stand in front of it. And you come up, you look at the topic, you look at the, the graphs and things on the poster and you mm -hmm. say, talk to me, mm -hmm. explain your research to mm -hmm. me. And they're supposed to stand there and in under two minutes, tell you what they did. Okay. I love this. So you're going to be looking at the, some of these poster I'm going to be making, boards and finding ones that you think might help our audience. I, I'm, I'm hoping to spark interest in someone. Okay. Um, and so if there are topics that you're interested in, I, and it's, we're going to try to do like an hour and a half live mm -hmm. on Friday morning with me walking around live, you know, sticking a microphone in people's face and saying, you know, pretend I'm just a person walking, mm -hmm. because I am just a person walking mm -hmm. up to you, but we've got a bunch of people watching. And so come to this live poster session with me, you guys. It's a really, I get jazzed about it mm -hmm. because to me, it's hope. To me, it's the future. I, my favorite thing is knowing that other brighter minds are fixing things that I don't know how yeah, to fix. Right. That I had such trouble sleeping when we were in our autism intervention because I was like, I got to do something. I, we were just talking about depression. And for me, the only thing that helps with depression is taking action. Mm -hmm. It's the only way that I, I got to get up and I got to do something. I, yeah. I got to make something happen. I got to, you know, something. And I couldn't with autism. Right. Like I, I could to some extent, but then I couldn't do more. Right. You didn't have the control and over it. I didn't it. have control and I didn't have the knowledge and I didn't mm -hmm. have, you know, it was like unless I dropped everything and went to graduate school, mm -hmm. which I couldn't do. Right. You know, which is part of why we started this show was mm -hmm. that I wanted parents to be able to get up at two o'clock in the morning and find information right. for free right. that they could pause and go, you know, and now there's so much. But I, when I know that brighter minds, mm -hmm. like while I'm off having lunch, somebody is sitting someplace trying to figure out how to get 
a person on the autism spectrum to be able to communicate. Mm -hmm. That makes me happy because mm -hmm. I go, oh, you're working on it. I can have lunch. Right. Oh, you're working on it. I can sleep. Yeah. Oh, you're working on it. I can take a breath. Mm -hmm. Oh, you're working on it. I can take a shower. Yeah. Right? Right. Because there was a time when I was like, I don't have time to take a shower. I, I got to come up with an autism intervention. Right. You know? So I love it. To me, it's like touring the future. Yeah. Very good. So we'll have to yeah. encourage everybody to tune in. And what have you got on the show tomorrow? So tomorrow on the show, this is really exciting. Of course, we have Bonnie Yates answering your legal questions. But we have Thomas Scheel, who this is really cool. Mm -hmm. um, he has started a dating and social media site for adults with autism. And it's called Unipi. Unipi? Unipi. U-N-E-E-P-I. I hope I'm pronouncing it right. Unipi. Um, so we're going to talk about that because so many people for so long have said, but what, what about the dating right, piece? Right. Like it's lovely. You've covered when people are in love, but how mm -hmm. did you get there? What's the dating piece? Mm -hmm. Um, Travis breeding. I hope you're going to be tuning in tomorrow. Cause I know you've asked me this question a million times. Um, so this is a very exciting thing. Uh, UniPi plus which we've got an amazing speech and language pathologist who happens to also be a BCBA. So, and she's got really important resources for us about how um, we work with nonverbal kids. You mm -hmm. know, I, I did the Autism Monologues this summer, and there's a joke in it where uh, somebody in an IEP says to a mom, and it's a terrible joke, but it's based on reality, says, well, you're, you know, the speech and language pathologist wanted to come to the IEP, but your child's nonverbal, so right, right. she can't do anything, right. so she didn't come. And People have been told that before. Well, your child's nonverbal, so the speech and language pathologist isn't going to be able to help you. This is a good speech and language pathologist who's also a BCBA who's like, bring me your nonverbal child mm -hmm. because there's a wealth of things that we absolutely need to do uh, to teach functional communication, but also to give the best possible chance for speech. Mm -hmm. So that's fabulous. And plus we'll do the, um, the mindfulness moment. So we're okay. out of time. Uh, but so thrilled people have got what one more day to write in and do grants yes for, one more day uh, autism care today yes you can go to act hyphen today.org wonderful go to our grants page I appreciate you being here with I you. appreciate being here with you for all of you uh, make sure that you're with us tomorrow until then give yourselves a hug from us yes and, give yourselves and, and your kiddos I said it all wrong it's like it I've doesn't never matter done it everybody and group hug too. <laughs> group okay. hug bye bye for now bye bye